Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he made Matt. It's Arturo Zurita. Hello, Zach. I am excited to be here. Um, we have a lot to talk about, including some March brackets, which uh, we did some of these, I don't even think it was last year. It was almost like two years ago. Yeah. It was it last we- year? It might have been two years ago. It feels like a little while since we've done yeah. brackets on this channel, but they were always fun to do. We mm. did a A24 bracket, a Spielberg bracket. Uh, of that course, was a, the, uh, the, the A24 superhero bracket, bracket with Iman. Didn't even include Hereditary. So that's yeah. how long ago it was. So it has been a while. Exactly. So I'm excited to get back to these. I know we're going to be doing them weekly, but uh, also just talking movies. Yeah, we're uh, preparing for March Madness with some movie brackets. Going to tackle the best Pixar movie in a little bit, but there's other stuff we need to talk about. Uh, We're missing our adorable CGI sidekick, Fernando, this week, but we've got talk about motion capture dogs, Disney Plus's definition of family-friendly, and the battle over best Pixar, as I mentioned. But first, make sure you're subscribed not just to the Intercut video feed on youtube.com slash intercutpod, or uh, also the audio feed available on most podcatchers. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at Intercut Pod. That's at Intercut P-O-D. That's short for podcast. All right, let's start the show the way we started every week here with what we are watching. What you been watching, buddy? I was just telling you this earlier. Uh, Netflix has this new thing where they're putting their top ten shows. I kind of like it. But it kind of reminds me of YouTube. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Okay. It's like YouTube's trending page a bit, but we'll save that. They had one that's been getting hyped like crazy. We even talked about it at Sundance, but it's on Netflix. It is called Love is Blind. I've seen three episodes of it. I know it wrapped up. And a lot of people, uh, we don't usually, we get recommended a bunch of reality shows. This is probably, because it's Netflix, the most recommended show. Just because people want us to react to like the... uh, the reactions within the show itself, uh, what happens and all the characters that are in it, all the real people. Uh, this is like the new form of The Bachelor, but instead the spin is that there's a certain amount of men, certain amount of women. They never get to see each other. It's called Love is Blind because they're put into these pods where they're kind of quick dating each other. All the men get to meet the women. The women all get to meet the men. But it's all these conversations. And at the end of the 34 days, they have to propose to each other. And they don't leave the show unless they're married. I think it's stupid. It's idiotic. I, I was only supposed to watch one episode, and I'm three down. As soon as I'm done with yeah. this, I'm going to go finish it. It's yeah, I mean, I get it. I feel like that's kind of the description most people have when mm. it comes to reality TV. It's like, it's stupid. I didn't want to watch it. I'm binging it right now. Exactly. Uh, it, it just – when these shows work, they're cut together in such a uh, such an easy-to-consume way that leaves yeah. you kind of like – questioning what's going to happen next. I haven't caught Love is Blind yet, but I did catch The Circle, the other Netflix reality show that's, that's been kind of a That's the one you told me about. Okay. Uh, and yeah, they both kind of do this thing of like playing with, uh, you know, like hiding behind facades and uh, not knowing mm-hmm. what another person looks like. And I think that kind of builds in this wanting to see, well, what's going to, what's it going to be like when they actually see each other and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, whether they are doing this knowingly or it's just lucky that they happen to be on Netflix, they they seem to have found this very bingeable reality format. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Netflix has been entering reality in a big way in 2020 with these, with uh, Next in Fashion, their Project Runway knockoff. It's uh, 
another an yet another sector of entertainment yeah. that Netflix is trying to conquer. It's interesting, you know, because you think Warner Bros. In, in, te- in a sense, Warner Bros. Universal, they all own TV networks. So they are doing this as well, you know, like whoever owns E! and VH1 and whatnot. But like Netflix has got the movies, the TV shows, the reality TV, the stand-ups. One of the other things that I saw, uh, fantastic title to the stand-up, Alive from New York. Uh, the new Pete Davidson one the new Pete Davidson special as he even says they're giving them out to everybody it is one of the worst stand up specials I've ever seen Really, very enjoyable though. Uh, by okay. that I mean he is—he's he, not doing stand-up. Like from the craft of stand-up, it is garbage. Nobody's laughing. <laughs> the amount of audience reaction shots is so limited because they are just not vibing with him. The funniest jokes that he gets a reaction from the crowd is making fun of the fact that it's not going well. That yeah, Netflix is just giving out stand-up specials to whoever they want. That said, he does have like three really big acts. The first—I don't know if you heard of it—was him calling out Louis C.K. Who used uh, no, to call I haven't heard. him out on Saturday Night Live all the time for smoking weed. And that smoking weed meant he was going to be throwing his life away. What a waste Pete Davidson was. <laughs> I'll let you see the punchline to that one. Uh, and then the Ariana Grande one uh, with one of the reveals yeah. being the, that uh, Ariana saying he had a you know, big schlong wasn't necessarily a compliment. It was a tactical <laughs> move so that every woman from now on who sees him will be disappointed. Uh, it's very all over the place. It's crazy. Um, he does 9-11 jokes, which for those who don't know, his father was actually a firefighter. It, it's it's almost who earnest. died during 9-11. Yeah, it, it's almost earnest in the way that it's so... He's got a movie coming out called The King of Staten Island, where it's very much just him and like the lowest of the low and what he thinks. He says that Staten Island is known for its uh, trash pile. The biggest dump that you can see it all the way up from up there. And he says that that's almost how he sees himself. And uh, that's what he put in his special. So as bad as it is... I mean, it's Pete Davidson given all of Pete Davidson. So, F- I feels hope we like have a, for longer. Yeah, feels like a very uh, of his character uh, special. Yes, very yeah. much so. Uh, so yeah, what have you been watching? Fan of Pete Davidson's work, I guess uh, you got a live from New York on Netflix. As for what I've been watching, it's also been something on Netflix. Uh, finally caught up with, as I mentioned during the end of last week's show, the Sundance movie Horse Girl. Uh, which is now on Netflix with Alison Brie. Uh, You know, for the first half of this movie, I kind of really, really disliked it. And uh, it's not one of of those where you figure out what's happening. It's like, oh, I like the whole thing now. The first Uh half is just very slow and Mm -hmm. meanders and not really – it's not focused. The comedy isn't precise enough. The character examination isn't – interesting enough but then it actually does take a pretty interesting turn uh and the way in which it kind of reveals what it's ultimately about uh was something i was somewhat impressed by i think there's some Mm -hmm. interesting filmmaking going on in the latter half of the movie but it's it's kind of still a hard movie to recommend i don't know if it necessarily i agree with you has has much to say uh, about its character or its, its away situation. I think it's a it's a few interesting ideas kind of reaching at something bigger and never quite getting there. You see it? You saw it as well? Yeah, I caught it right after uh, we had come back from Sundance, and I agree with you the same way. I like how it was shot. It's got this very dreamlike quality to it. And she wrote it. Brie wrote um, mm-hmm. the screenplay. I think it's or her first yeah writing credit. 
Uh, or as some would say, with uh, who directed it? Um, Jeff Baina is that his name? Uh, and they and he's known for doing like the mumblecore stuff. So some may say he's like, well, yeah. you know, does she get the credit <laughs> because it was like half improv? But uh, no, yeah, she said that she had worked on this character in particular and really wanting to. I can't. I don't know if she said that she had like relatives as well who she got inspiration from with with this specific character and and how how they get dissected towards the second half. But um, yeah, it's an interesting movie that you want to recommend to somebody, but you're like, I don't. It either works for you or it doesn't. And the only way to figure that out is, you know, if you got an Netflix account, click it and play it. But, um, yeah, I, I can't remember what's the last thing that he came out with because I, I want to give him credit for another movie that I had seen in a previous festival. He, he's done it. a bunch of small stuff. Um, mm. I remember he he did Little Hours, didn't he? Yes, he did. Oh, and Life uh, After Beth. Okay. And Joshy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, so I yeah, thought it it was an interesting movie that uh, they have a lot of cool behind the scenes now that Netflix keeps posting their behind the scenes, not to Netflix, but to YouTube, which I find is count. Yeah, just leave it all there. Uh, but I like Alison Brie in the movie and all the stuff yeah. that she did getting into the to headspace of it. I thought was really interesting. Yeah, she's very good in it. Uh, if you're a fan of hers, maybe it's worth checking out. Uh, but I, I don't know. Uh, it does make I'm still interested in more films from Jeff Bain. I, I don't know mm. if this is quite. Uh, there exactly. They but. got the Netflix deal. Yeah. All right. So let us know what you've been watching in the comments below on YouTube or by shooting us an email. The address for that is intercutpod at gmail.com. But we are going to move on to our gay or nay, where we break down the latest happenings in entertainment, starting with Call of the Wild in theaters now. Okay. It sparked a debate over the film's main character, Buck. Buck is an entirely CGI dog pantomimed by motion capture artist Terry Notary. Side note, viewers of The Square will recognize mm-hmm. him from that uh, memorable ape scene. But anyway, the the decision to use a CGI dog instead of uh, a real one might leave some viewers thinking the film is kind of in that uncanny valley. But it's been praised by organizations such as PETA, who typically flag the use of real animals in films over Mm -hmm. ethical concerns. So, Art, yay or nay, you think Call of the Wild is better off with its motion-captured dog performance? Uh, It's it's one of those that's in the middle because I understand because I just saw it. And yeah, you've I, actually seen it. I haven't seen it. I'll, and I'll I I uh, did all like the research for it literally last night, and I saw the motion. I cannot get past the motion capture thing. There's something that uh, Margot Robbie had said about being on the set of Tarzan, where the gorillas were actually people in suits. And if you know Tarzan, you know the same Planet of the Apes where they're fighting, they're caressing. And she's like, I am never doing that again. Uh, if you've seen the footage to this, it is very weird. That said. The dude's a masterclass at what he does. He was also, uh, it, it was the same people, he said the reason he was able to get this role, it was the the same connections he had made with the Planet of the Apes movies. So that's how you know that you put him with the right, I guess, budget and, and people, it works great. Mm-hmm. It's a CGI dog. I get it, it, the, it, the dog is put in situations where you can't, you can't put a real dog in those situations. Yeah. Um, just, I don't know, maybe, I, I can't even say put money into it. This is why I think it's bad. They wasted $175 million on Call of the Wild. Really? I had no idea it was that expensive. How? Sorry, uh, 115. 115. I'm confusing it with Doolittle's. But 115. Because I, I read the whole tax report in California, how much money they brought in. And I was like, is there a, is there a scam going on here? <laughs> There's even like articles about it, $115 million because of the way that they had a motion capture. And they never shot, because they shot in California. It's supposed to be a snowy place. It was all sets. 
So, um, yeah. the irony I mean, in it look, being that... We, we're both dog lovers on this mm-hmm. program. We introduced the inner cuties to Lady not too long ago. Uh, we introduced them to Penny at some point. She's off chewing something. Uh, but... So it's not about that. Like, we want to ensure the dogs are safe. And, you know, there's definitely some stuff in Call of the Wild. I, I just know from the book that, mm-hmm. like, I it would be risky to have an actual dog doing that. But at at the same time, like, there is a different quality to having Easily. a real tangible animal. And I, do, I, I would be a little bit heartbroken if we couldn't at least use some dogs in mo- in some movie situations. Exactly. Like, obviously, you know, uh, there was that whole controversy with what a dog's purpose, I think it was, a couple of years ago, uh, where they they were worried that the dog was being abused based on the behind-the-scenes wow. footage, and then it came out that that was how the trainer was working with it. And, yeah. Like, you know, and Axel, or I think it was Axel or Alpha, had one of the same things that they had the dogs out there and they were eating the buffalo. And pe- PETA got really mad because it was like, whoa, they, they can't be eating the buffalo when they were out in Wyoming, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, obviously it'll avoid some situations like that. But I wonder if the solution is something in between where you mm-hmm. use a real dog for the scenes that don't put a real dog at risk. Definitely. And then you can, you know, use the CGI motion capture for some of the more complicated stuff. I don't know as, as much as maybe I should on this, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think about movies like uh, White, uh, White God. You remember that film? Bro, with all the trained dogs that they had? That's like, what makes that me wonder. That was an amazing experience. And it, it's basically like Planet of the Apes, but with yes. real dogs. It's, I think Bro. a Turkish movie. Just look at the poster be, alone. It should make you want to see a clip of how they got that. Yeah. I, know, yeah. Oh, I would be one. heartbroken if we couldn't have experiences like that. You know? you know? Poor dogs. They're like getting replaced like kiosks. They're like, well, what happened to artwork? It's crazy because <laughs> animation, you know, is it's not done because it's supposed to be so expensive. And CG was supposed to be the new way. And it's not. It's even, it's yeah. even more expensive. So. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Who knows? The Love, Simon spinoff TV series got some mm. good news and some bad news over the past week. First of all, it's no longer titled Love, Simon. It's now Love, Victor, based on the show's new protagonist. That's cool. And the 10-episode first season will debut in June. However, it's been bumped from Disney Plus over to Hulu for quote-unquote adult themes. This move mirrors the shift that High Fidelity made uh, the Zoe Kravitz series, which originally was developed for Disney Plus and just recently premiered on Hulu. But art, yay or nay, Disney Plus giving up these shows is a bad decision in the long run. Yes, easily. So uh, one of the positive things that I would give to it, uh, Hillary Duff had come out and had said because her right. show was also put into a halt. And she was like, wait a minute, if there was a different option to go somewhere else, very much implying that if it was too heavy for Disney Plus, but it can live on Hulu, why not? The thing mm-hmm. with Love, Victor, which I love that title so much more than it just being a retread of the book uh, and movie, but uh, uh, that they had moved it because they were pitching it not as Love, Simon, the series, but that it was going to be Euphoria light. That's what I had heard from some people who have had screeners to it. Mm-hmm. Don't hey, I did not say that, but that's what it sounds like. And that yeah. makes me really excited about it, it being saw- the content. I saw Amanda tweet something about potentially there's some alcohol consumption on the show. Exactly, yeah. That's maybe too risque for that's Disney so Plus. Dumb. Which you know is, is weird considering the all the uh, beheadings in the Marvel movies and 
child killings in the Star Wars movies and all the and seasons demented treehouse horror episodes of the, and Simpsons. the Simpsons thank you that exist on Disney Plus right now like I don't know I mean so to to one extent I don't understand it but to another extent I do get it because I think you know Disney Plus seems to be pretty locked in from a value standpoint, you know, it has the worst this base of viewers who are always going to go there for the Star Wars content, Marvel content, Disney content, right? And now Disney has to try and make Hulu a viable option too. So they're throwing all these prestige series at Hulu, hoping that, you know, you'll go for that Disney Plus bundle option and get the ESPN Plus while you're at it too. So that's, them a little bit yeah. more money. That's the scummiest thing. Imagine you have Disney Plus and you're like, I'm going to get the live set. No, but I'm still paying my five, what is it, six ninety nine, And it's not coming to me. It's going to the other. I don't have the other service. I got this one because yeah. you told me it was going to be on there. That's going to be a problem. To me, it just is a signal that Disney Plus is going to be the blander option going forward that they're not going to put the more interesting material there. They're going to put the more branded material mm. on there. And if you are into those brands, then you will subscribe to that service. And that's probably enough to justify the service. Uh, but I don't know if we're going to be getting a lot of good original content on Disney plus in the near future. And that sucks, dude, because yeah, it sounds like it's just going to be the place where they get their uh, digital streaming stuff for the stuff that went to theaters. Yeah. But do you feel like this is censorship? I don't know if that's the right word. Like, because to me, I don't know if this is censorship so much as it is just like questionable business decisions. The problem with it is that the same way that Apple TV, I don't know if you had heard about this, but that he, uh, Apple TV, the only things that are getting greenlit are the stuff that uh, what's his name likes, and that's uh, vi- right. Yeah, they're they're going for Tim this Apple. like <laughs> yeah t- t- Tim Cook like this very like. Uh, inoffensive programming slate, apparently. And it makes no like sense. Any- yeah, and it's really bad because to me that just tells me that you're dealing with investors, and that's what I'm worried about, that the content is then going to get manipulated to fit investors. And why do I want to dis- – you and I talk about this all the time. I have HBO, and I have Netflix, and I have Amazon who are putting themselves on the line over here with their shows like Hunters, uh, anything that goes on Netflix. And HBO's been doing this. You know, HBO hears the controversy Netflix has and goes, yeah, we had the Sopranos in like, oh, one. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so these other streaming services are just coming to attack kids, really. That's what it is. They're trying to be very kid-friendly. They're seeing what YouTube went through and that debacle, and they're like, all right, we're going to limit that to the most – I don't think there's a kid's – is there a parental guide on Disney Plus? I don't think so. Like, I know Netflix has its kids option, but I feel like Disney Plus is just kind of like free. Go ahead. I don't I get it. Wrong. And then Bob Iger's gone. Somebody so. with kids tell us if we're wrong. <laughs> Let us know. Because it yeah. feels like that they just want the whole thing to just be a parental lock. But I don't see it yeah. being a good thing in the long run. Not a fan of it. Same. Netflix, as we mentioned, unveiled a top 10 feature on its platform, bringing some rare clarity to its programming performance. Each day, Netflix will show the 10 most viewed shows per country and also will display the top 10 uh, when you're scrolling through for looking looking for something to watch. What's not clear is how they decide which show is in the top 10, whether that's partial views, complete views, or something else entirely Art, yay or nay, you think this is a useful addition to the Netflix experience? Yes. For how long? Who knows? So it's like it's a yay now because 
uh, I think it makes the, the page pop out a little bit more. It lets you know something that's, you know, more trendy and such. But the same way that we had the YouTube trending tab, and what did that do? At the end of it, you know, a bunch of accusations came out on who was trying to get paid just to be on there. We've had stuff like Rap Caviar, same thing. You know, that was a, a way for, you know, a lot of hip-hop to be introduced through Spotify. And then it turned out that people were trying to buy their spots there and such. So the biggest worry with this is the same thing that you have anytime you're dealing with a service that's trying to do a top 10, uh, why would they not value putting their movies in the top 10 spots over other stuff that's not theirs, I guess? But I mean, if they have it, it it's just a way to circulate a bit. Um, I see it being very easily manipulated, considering that it's coming from Netflix, who tells us that their uh, Kurt Russell Santa movie is the highest grossing movie <laughs> of all time when that got released. Right. You know, right, like this This to me is a, it's a very useful marketing tool, right? Yeah. Like we were just talking before we started recording about how like you kind of want to watch Love is Blind because it's trending and people are talking about mm-hmm. Love is Blind. But like how do we really know that it's trending? Like yes, we know we, we've seen it on Twitter and stuff like that. But if Netflix wants to just – Throw it, throw it at you that, oh, hey, the, the end of the fucking world is the number one most watched show. Why don't you binge it right now? Like, that doesn't necessarily, that that's, might just be another way for them to pull in viewers, especially when you consider that a lot of people say the hardest thing about Netflix is knowing what to watch. And if you're watching the thing that everybody else is watching, then it kind of feels like you're more plugged in. I don't know. No, uh, that's a great point. That is a great point. You get everyone to, because it's only 10. You have yeah. to. Have you seen at least six out of the ten? And it gets people to not aimlessly scroll around. Yeah. It's the Do new Do you want to uh, hear Tales the latest top ten? Sure. Go ahead. Hit me. All right. So this is on February 25th. This was the most recent I could find. Uh, Better Call Saul. This is ten to one. I'm going. Number nine, A Bad Mom's Christmas. Then Girl on the Third Floor. Babies. To All the Boys. P.S. I Still Love You. The Foreigner. Lock and Key, Narcos Mexico, The Last Thing He Wanted, and Love is Blind. The Last Thing He Wanted. Number, well, that makes sense because they two. put that Yeah, they put that right up in the front. Um, yeah, they want people to watch it, but um, I, I'd be curious to see how long that stays up there. Yeah, it'll be an interesting marketing tool. And I, I can't wait. I can't wait for Nicki Minaj to have her Netflix show and then get mad when the new Travis Scott sequel documentary beats it to number one. <laughs> Can you imagine wanting the number one Netflix spot? Like it becomes a new billboard, but for yeah. streaming for them, we'll see. People are negotiating we'll that. In it, their it's contracts. cute. It's cute. We'll Scorsese's see how long it not going to make another movie unless it's number unless one it's for three weeks. Unless it's the number one on the Netflix, he won't settle for less. Indiana Jones Five has been in development for a little while, but its latest delays might have the franchise part ways with director Steven Spielberg. The director of all previous Indiana Jones films would step down for Logan and Ford v. Ferrari director James Mangold. Art, yay or nay, Indiana Jones would be better off with Mangold as its director than Spielberg. What was that last good Spielberg movie? Uh, I don't mean good. We kind of like The Post. What was the last great... What what was the last movie that made you go, Spielberg? We thought I mean, we were going to get it with Ready Player One and we did it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I kind of agree with you. Ready <laughs> Yeah, I'd go back to the Minority Report, War of the World days. Right. I don't right. want him touching the new Spiel, uh, The new. Uh, what do you do with the last one? I mean, you know, people who would defend Spielberg would likely point to The Post and Bridge of Spies. Which I like most, one of most those. Most successful yeah. recent ones. 
I, I'm not a big fan of Bridge of Spies, but even then, you got to say, like, these are the more prestige, artful movies that I think he does really well. I kind of feel like it's been a little while since he's made a blockbuster film that felt exciting the way that you want a Steven Spielberg blockbuster to feel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he tried this with the Indiana Jones 4 also. He already, yeah, with that, the BFG, like he's had big money stuff that can be super creative and it just, it didn't do it. He's got uh, Westside coming out. Right, right. I'm not trying to be like anti-Spielberg either. (laughs) How dare you? It's, but it's just like the man is, what, 72, 73 years old? Like, if he doesn't want to make a fifth Indiana Jones movie, I don't know if we should, like, tie him to the director's Oh, you chair. think he doesn't want to do it? I think if he really wanted to make this movie, they would move oh, the world to let him do it. I mean, this is his franchise, no? Some, yeah, some, yeah. I mean, he's done every single one. Some behind the scenes to it is uh, he has his new company, Amblin Partners, first one being BFG, and since then they've been, uh, the most recent being 1917 as well. Uh, so he's really pushing the producing game. Uh, yeah. I think maybe that's what he's waiting to sit back because there's. I think he's not. He may not want to do it anymore. And as much as it is his baby, you can't kill something like Indiana Jones if you're building right. your own franchise. Uh, so James Mangold, I'm sorry, but Logan, <laughs> and I and I enjoy the Wolverine a lot as well. Uh, not the biggest fan of uh, Ford V and his Ferrari, but uh, I think he may be able to handle it the best. I wonder how much they're gonna retcon from the fourth. But I'm excited for it. Yeah, should be cool. I like. I want to see more rides because the Indiana Jones stuff. It's bare in, in the parks. It's barely there. It's just hanging on. Like they they don't right. even avoid the fourth one. Like they're just like, please come out with a new installment so we can keep this ride yeah. going. But yeah, I'm hoping this is the kind of move that gives it a kind of like Mission Impossible type of surge of energy because mm-hmm. Mission Impossible has you know up until recently always switched its director yeah. and that ends up being That's kind cool. of like a fun thing when somebody new comes along and, and revisits it in a fun way. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe Mangold can do that for Indiana Jones. I don't know. I hope. Uh, but that's about it for yay or nay. Uh, be an inner cutie and send us a question by leaving it in the comments on YouTube or hitting us up on social media at intercutpod. You can also email us intercutpod at gmail.com and we will make sure to get to your suggestion on a future episode. Uh, we are going to move into our topic of the weekend as we hinted to with March Madness and brackets coming up, uh, a big tournament style thing being all the rage. We thought we'd, you know, get in on that trend ourselves with our own movie version. This time we're doing Pixar in honor of Onward coming out March 6th, I want to say, the latest Pixar movie. We are going to break down what we think is the best Pixar film. Now, there have been 21 feature film releases from Pixar up until this point. I have them ranked in uh, order of how much money they gross at the box office. Okay. But the thing is, with a bracket, it's a lot easier to do it with an even 16. So let me read out the eight lowest grossing movies, and we can decide which three uh, should make the cut. I think this will be fairly easy. Uh, 14th is Cars 2, then Brave, then WALL-E, Toy Story, Cars, A Bug's Life, Cars 3, and The Good Dinosaur. Now, I, I know you pretty well. I know your taste in Pixar. Okay, I'm pretty sure we're going to keep Toy Story among this group. And I'll also throw out there that I'd like to fight for WALL-E. I was about so to say. Th- I, think that, 
I think that makes this pretty easy. You know, we have uh, either Brave or A Bug's Life or any one of the Cars movies to choose from. Yeah. For that last spot. Um, let's go with Cars. Cars? Yeah, because I think it, right. it is officially the highest grossing um, merchandise-wise. <laughs> Eight bill. Right. Yeah, it is a big part of uh, the Pixar story and that uh, they continually yeah. went back to Cars exactly. rather than making more original of the other movies. Ones, I think yeah. it's been a frustration uh-huh. in recent years. Uh, so that, so that, that discludes what else? So that means we're not including Cars 2, Brave, A Bug's Life, Cars 3, or The Good Dinosaur. All right, uh, no disrespect to Brave, disrespect to the other ones, but yeah, no, yeah. I think that's solid enough. <laughs> then we're going to make it past the first, for us at least. All right, so uh, we're starting off with the number one seed versus the number 16 seed and the highest grossing Pixar movie of all time, somewhat surprisingly, The Incredibles okay. 2. So we're going The Incredibles 2 versus Cars in the 16th seed. Wow. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of The Incredibles 2, but I am not a fan of Cars. You're not so, a fan of cars at all. No, not even at all. Wow. I am actually, I I slightly like cars. You're a bit of a defender of cars, yeah. Yeah, I like cars a little bit more than I like um, Incredibles 2. But I also like Incredibles 2 way more than everybody else liked Incredibles 2 the year it came out. People hated <laughs> it. They hated the villain. They hated every aspect and being of it. So I, I'm okay with having Incredibles 2 go past because cars would not make it past the second round. It would run out of gas second round anyway, regardless of. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, let's uh, keep the number one seat in for but just a But shout out to cars. Longer. Thank you for all you did, Lightning McQueen. <laughs> you made your revenue in, well, revenue, really. You made your rewards in revenue. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Owen Wilson will ride that paycheck into the distance. Mm-hmm. All right, so the number two seed versus our number 15th seed. This is an interesting one. Toy Story 4 versus Toy Story. Toy Story. Is this a That's, question? It's not a question. Yeah. You you like Toy Story 4 a lot more than me, but you're... I love it. It's a natural progression. They followed it. They've been consistent. I, I cannot be mad at them coming up with something that... We may like the third one as a great ending, but the fourth makes sense. It makes yeah. sense to me. Um, it's one. <laughs> what? It's, yeah. No. Yeah. One's the reason it's we dumb. all fell in love with it. One's uh-huh. the thing that got Pixar started. I think even just on legacy, you got to give it to one. There's only right? one competing with one, and it's two. <laughs> That's it. All right. So Toy Story beats number two Toy seed, Story. Toy Story 4, to advance to the next round. Uh, we got more Toy Story in the next matchup. Number three, Toy okay. Story 3 versus number 14, Wally. This is a tough one. This is Zach. This is talk about it. Um, so I think Wally might be viewed as maybe the most artful of the Pixar movies. You know, it's got that whole largely silent forty-minute opening, and uh, it's it's this very gorgeous uh, idea of a future Earth. Uh, it's a very very ambitious movie. Uh, but Toy Story 3 has kind of the biggest gut the punch biggest of gut any punch movie maybe ever. Of all time. Uh, I mean, at least of these animated movies. They, they've got two separate moments that are just like rip your heart out emotional. When you say Toy that, Story I thought 3. of two. You know, yeah. I'm thinking the dumpster and I'm thinking the goodbye. And it's like, it's it escalated so much that it was nominated up there for best picture. You know, um, yep. I would say rightfully so. 
that said Wally's got that whole thing going on with all the humans just you know like what what will eventually happen and how mm-hmm. how it's taken over and and it's got like one of the craziest messages in a pic it's inter it's the better version of Interstellar almost to a degree yeah. so yeah. it's like I, I, only only one of these movies do we find like weird futuristic things happening in the real world and it's like oh it's like Wally you know what I mean like yeah. It, and the ways in which it's unfortunately kind of like predicted our future, if, whether that's like just human laziness or that's like corporate over overtaking of everything, yeah. uh, just corporate culture. I, I don't know. Um, I, I feel like we're going to feel bad two years down the road if we eliminate Wally here. Then we shouldn't eliminate Wally. My only defense for Wally is that it is an original story that has not been tainted by a sequel. Not to say that the Toy Story movies haven't been tainted by a sequel, but if I were to take them individually, I got, I got so stressed at that moment that I ripped that you had the to rip it off. Cord out of my headphones. If you had to rank them individually, uh, Toy Story three is three for me. Like yeah. it goes one, two, three. So if I were to compare it, yeah, Toy Story three on its own, it, it, it does stand on its own. But Wally is its own original concept, and that's the only reason why, as the biggest Toy Story fan. I'm make sure Toy Story is going to end up <laughs> very deep in this bracket with the first two. Um, I would put Wally over Toy Story three just off originality alone. Really, jeez, uh, this is bugging me because you know there's a world in which I would say that Toy Story three is my favorite Pixar movie. Wow, and this is what's interesting about the brackets because you come up against a certain movie and it's like, man, I don't know if I can do Wally like that in the first round. I know I'm um, putting my Toy Story bias to the side. I'm surprised. All right, let's go Wally here, and I'll just uh, f- fear it's the worth comment it. to, section. To this day, I think it still holds up. Like, Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, the number four seed is Finding Nemo, and the number 13 seed, Toy Story 2. We can't escape Toy Story. It's Finding Nemo. I'm not even playing yeah. with you. I'm not even playing with you here. Because you're I'm a big fan of Toy Story 2. I mean, I love Finding Nemo. I think Finding Nemo's- Nemo a pretty underrated my most viewed movie is it theaters. underrated it's, maybe it's appropriately rated but it's Finding great Nemo spirited away if we're talking in terms you love of culture Finding Nemo. it's the most the movie i saw the most in theaters growing up like it's without a doubt all right so it's we're going to Finding hit. Nemo uh this one is a little bit easier i think number 5 is Finding Dory number 12 is Monsters Inc <laughs> I mean, this is just like this is Phase One Pixar versus like Phase Blah Pixar. Uh, yeah. So there's no time to explain here. We'll get it to later. Uh, Finding Dory, we appreciate you. I don't hate it as much as other people do. It does have a skewed message on disability sometimes here or there. But I think a lot of the stuff that they did around the movie in real life, and I still like Ellen DeGeneres as the voice of Dory. Um, don't make another one. <laughs> but I did enjoy it. It still got to go. It's yeah. not gonna be Finding Dory. <laughs> you all agree, right, so correct? Monsters Inc. Yeah, Monsters Easily. Inc. All the way. I mean, it's got it's got the more original story. It's got uh, the iconic voice cast. I mean, it, it. I think for the most part, we're we're favoring originals over sequels here. Like obviously, Toy Story maybe is a bit of the exception. Although mm-hmm. we've already eliminated all the Toy Story sequels. I know. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think don't we're, think we're... Intercut two years ago would have done that. <laughs> <laughs> nope. 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 <laughs> Number six is Inside Out, and number 11 is Ratatouille, another battle of uh, highly praised originals, although I feel like the perception of Inside Out is 
generally thought of a little bit more highly than the perception of Ratatouille. You think so? Like, there are those people, and I'm among them, that are like, Ratatouille is super S- underrated in the Pixar catalog. I, and I think Inside Out has been out enough, quote Ratatouille way more in my daily life, in memes and everything than I do uh, Inside Out. And it's not to bash Inside Out in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. but I think that there's some inconsistencies in Inside Out. Whereas in Ratatouille, it's like, it just goes there. I think Ratatouille has a, I don't want to call it a better message. Because I, I feel like when you're pitting them together, you're like saying that one is less than the other. And it's not. I just think that, mm-hmm. uh, I think Ratatouille is way more iconic. I think yeah. uh, just the way, I, I smell the food in Ratatouille. Like, mm-hmm. you know, every, every one of the biggest references that you make when you're going to be like a chef or you want to go to France or whatever. It's like, oh, you're going to go eat Ratatouille, you know? It brings, like, I think uh, a big culinary sense to, like, kids who were growing up during that time and, you know, thinking mm-hmm. that it was okay to have a rat in the kitchen. <laughs> There's a specificity to the story in Ratatouille that I find a lot more interesting mm-hmm. uh, than Inside Out, which is more vague and, and you know, it does it does this whole thing where it's, it's about... Uh, discovering your emotions and yeah. finding a balance to them, which, you know, I, I do think is really interesting. And I've come to appreciate Inside Out a lot more in conversations, uh, both with uh, people who work in psychology and therapy. Uh, interesting. In, in that they've been able to talk to kids about their emotions through the characters in Inside Out. That's cool. And also just like talking with young relatives of mine who, who in actually engage with Inside Out and feel like, I feel like they get the themes of that movie. Yeah. Maybe, uh, you know, there's a part of me that uh, is a little biased to Ratatouille just because it's got that amazing Anton Ego character. I was that about I think to say. If you've ever done a little bit of criticism, like that that speech towards the end is just yeah. perfect. The, the uh, speech and the nostalgia trip that it takes you on. Mm-hmm. Look, I just prefer ratatouille i'm mm-hmm. I'm open to an argument for inside out but it doesn't seem like you're going to be the one to give it to me no uh, i see i would and you brought up the scene i love the bing bong scene in inside out i think it is the strongest mm-hmm. moment that it has alongside um sadness having a, a glow of yellow around her and the, and the mm-hmm. vice versa for joy love that but it's got to be Ratatouille. I, I think Ratatouille, yeah. I think, is the best one. And I'm surprised we have not gotten a sequel. I'm surprised. I don't know if it's the restraints or they just haven't been able to pull it through yet and they've been wanting to. But, uh, no, it's got to be Ratatouille for me. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit lower down this list of uh, their higher grossing movies. But mm-hmm. that being said, like, I don't, it's not no, that it's low. Got, it's, got a, it's got a much bigger cultural impact than you think. All but right, I think so a younger generation would pick Inside Out over us easily. I I agree you know what I mean? I yeah. Maybe maybe we were a little bit too old when Inside Out finally hit us. Like that a, could be you it. know I just too jaded. Exactly. We only have the I, red I just one found, in our <laughs> I just didn't feel like I, I jived with what it was trying to say it's about cute, the human though. mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. cute. All right, so number seven is Coco, and number ten is The Incredibles. Now I love The Incredibles art. You don't um, think I don't like Coco? I I have a feeling I'm gonna lose this argument though. <laughs> Give me your argument for uh, The Incredibles, because I do enjoy The Incredibles. Uh, I mean, what I would say here is that, you know, we're in this era of all these superhero movies, and I think by injecting the superhero genre with this family drama, uh, it kind of brought the best out of both and is sort of a perfect superhero movie and family movie. I agree. Uh, you know, the whole arc with... Uh, Syndrome talk is is so indicative of our fan culture, and I think 
the ways in which it talks about the whole like uh, ba- banning of superheroes ended up being s- strangely influential on the next just generation of superhero fiction. I don't know. There's a lot of su- su- superhero. There's a lot of stuff that I really jive with in The Incredibles. Uh, it's not. It's not like my favorite Pixar movie though. Mm-hmm. See, the thing with Coco is, uh, I don't know, what's the song from The Incredibles? <laughs> well, it's, not a, it's not a musical. Uh, of course not. Remember me, though, uh, being <laughs> the classic that it is. <laughs> I love this story in Coco and the animation, which is not fair because it's got obviously way more years on it uh, and, and it's more recent. But uh, just all of the textures and details that they go into it, the idea of having a border in the afterlife and such, but just really that love story of uh, a family and even through you know generations and through the afterlife of them being there for you and the whole concept of the ofrenda. That said, Phil Zach disappeared from me over here for a second, but <laughs> sorry. I would actually pick The Incredibles over Coco. Really? Not to have, yeah, not to have the recency bias or anything. And I do love Coco. I really do. But having rewatched uh, The Incredibles, because I was not a fan of The Incredibles growing up. But you watch that thing when you're older, and that is a straight-up family drama that it's only because it's an animation that I think some people may not... And, and, and don't get me wrong, uh, The Incredibles has a militia of people who are ready to defend it at, at any point in time. Uh, but I think that if the, if the Incredibles was a live-action movie, I'm trying to think of what director would have been able to handle it. Uh, Maybe just Brad because. Bird. Yeah, you're right. I guess he does live action as well. <laughs> um, but no, I think Brad Bird is much better in animation than he oh, yeah, no, no. ever I, I is in live action. You. But uh, no, you rewatch this and you see all the turmoil and stuff that they're going through. Something that the second one tried to do, but it, it, it doesn't do it anywhere near as close to the first one. And the fact that, when did that come out? 04? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Um, and it stood the test of time. I'm going to give it to it. Over... Coco, which might be a surprise to a lot of people, but I'm also playing the long con, the long game on this one, and I know what's going to come down to the final four. Yeah, no, that it's surprising how well that movie has continued to feel like relevant and, and vital. Uh, and you know, maybe it's unfair that Coco hasn't had quite as much time to kind of marinate yeah. and become a part of the culture, but. I don't know. The Incredibles is a really great movie. I think there's a reason that its sequel ended up being so financially yeah. successful that you know so many people people who, were waiting for it. Yeah, w- w- love that first movie. Were mm-hmm. hungry for a second. Uh, and I will give it uh, one that I think is uh, an actual like win over it as well. The villain is much better in the Incredible. Like it's such an iconic yeah. shift. Syndrome's like the, a really good villain. And, and his whole arc and stuff, when we see it elsewhere, we go, ah, they pulled a syndrome. Like, I, I've said that in Let Me Explain mm-hmm. and stuff. Whereas the one in Coco, I grilled it. I, I, I think the final reveal, it's... When the ending to your movie is the same as Mike and Dave have wedding dates, like, nah, that whole <laughs> microphone... It's, it, yeah, that wasn't... I wasn't jiving with that. That was yeah, not for yeah. me. All but right, I still well, love Coco. Uh, love Coco. Yeah, Shout outs to Rococo. We'll, we'll keep you on our friend, ofrenda. Uh, <laughs> we're moving on to uh, the last matchup of the first round the eight seed versus the nine seed. Up versus Monsters University. And uh, not Monsters really a discussion to me. You don't like Monsters University? You don't like Monsters Get the University? Fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, so Up moves on to the next round. And uh, yeah. All right, let's get down to it. Let's go. All right, so now this is. 
pretty much all movies we like. Although the first matchup is going to be pretty easy for us. The number one seed versus the no number 15 seed. It's The Incredibles 2 versus Toy Story. Uh, it seems like it should be an underdog matchup, but it is not. It's this not even is, close. Again, the movie that started this whole Pixar thing off mm -hmm. uh, versus a sequel that was kind of underwhelming. Mm -hmm. It would lived off the legacy of what yeah. this and all the other ones before it had. Absolutely. So... We're going to go with Toy Story here. Then Wall-E, the number 14 seed, faces off against the number four seed, Finding Nemo. It's not even close. It is not even close. Finding Nemo all the way. You're, so you're firmly Finding Nemo? If you need me to explain, I will, but I can wait for later to explain. Are well, you fighting for Wall-E? I, I would go with Wall-E here, and it's weird that I'm, I don't know. Okay. Go ahead. I, for the same reasons that we were talking about, there's so much artistry there. Mm -hmm. Although, like, you know, Finding Nemo is a really great movie, and it does have a world all its own, too. So I'm not, I'm not as opposed to letting Finding Nemo have the win here. You're saving yours. You're saving yours for the final rounds to be like, hey, I gave you the pass on the other ones. <laughs> it ain't going to work that way. I'm not getting no pass. I will explain to you. The music and the hymns in, in Finding Nemo to this day, I think we still hum. Just keep swimming. I think the characters to this day, we quote more. And that's a disadvantage. I'm not saying, you know, because obviously they don't talk uh, in Wally, so I can't put that against yeah. them. Uh, but it's still, it, Wally says that beautiful love story, but I would argue that the love story of between father and son and the literal depths that they go, they go through space, sure, but I yep. think that the journey in Finding Nemo is much more memorable and exciting. And I think mm -hmm. uh, if you were to tell someone to explain the, 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 the plot back to you, I think more people would be able to remember everything from P. Sherman, Wallaby Way, in Sydney, all the way down to the ending from uh, Shark Bait, hoo ha ha, over Wally. And I'm not going to diss Wally. Wally's opening is so, so strong. Fantastic. And I don't know if it is quite as strong in the back half. Uh, Finding Nemo is a pretty evenly paced movie. It's got, you know, memorable bits throughout. I am maybe regretting not going for Toy Story 3 a little bit here. Because it could have But it's too this. late. Toy Story 3 could have fought this. And I'm telling you right so, now, yeah. Wally can't fight whatever's coming next. And Finding Nemo can. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's the beauty swimming. of the brackets. <laughs> Wally keep defeats swimming. Toy Story three, but falls to Finding Nemo. Uh, now we've got the twelve seed Monsters Inc. versus the eleventh seed Ratatouille. A lot of the uh, not highest grossing Pixar movies not the, going too far. These on are our the list. biggest ones. These are the most rewatchable. These are the They're greatest. The foundational ones. I'm curious. Where are you going? Uh, for me, I think this is easily Ratatouille, although I like Monsters, Inc. quite a bit. Uh, I don't know if I feel like it has as much of a resonance in real life the mm -hmm. way that Ratatouille does. And even if the story of Ratatouille is this like fantastical idea of about, about a rat who can control a guy and become a chef, like this idea of outsiderdom is so clearly uh, represented through that movie. Uh, that mantra of anyone can cook, uh, it, I think, is so meaningful beyond the literal meaning. Uh, to me, I, I just find Ratatouille not only more entertaining but more meaningful of a movie. I, I think I think Ratatouille can fight that fight. 
The Friendship in Monsters, Inc. is like <laughs> none other that I've ever seen. The story of the species of monsters thinking that there's only one way to do things. And for the underdog who's always thought, I need to be the best type of monster, but I don't fit that image. Only to realize that what was inside him the whole time, that helped the entire species more. Because his comedy drew that out of people. What's, what's the... Uh, okay, what's the ending of Ratatouille? Because uh, Put the piece back. <laughs> Zach, when he put the piece... And Mike Wazowski's hands were shredded. Yeah, but but when Anton Ego eats the ratatouille and his face drops and he remembers his childhood? Zach. <laughs> when the CDC came in and said we... <laughs> Was it 2319? Come on. We're going through that right now, Zach. You're telling me that we can quote, <laughs> we can quote Ratatouille more right now than In we can? In the age of coronavirus. Come on. How can you deny Monsters, Zach? Inc? put that thing back where it came from, or so help me. <laughs> I love Monsters, Inc. Don't get me wrong. I, I do owe you one, and it, and, and it can be Ratatouille if you want it to be, Zach. It, it can be Ratatouille if you want it to be. Monsters, I mean, Inc. I think, to me, Monsters, Inc. has always been, like, like sub elite Pixar, like it's not—it's not that it's bad by any means. I love Mo- Monsters Inc. But you talk about like what are the best of the best Pixar movies? What are the iconic ones? I think it is a step below them. And I think Ratatouille's up there, man. I, I do. I really do. Wow! I can't believe yeah. what I'm here. What was the Ratatouille sequel about? Because <laughs> Monsters University actually extends. <laughs> I will give it to your Ratatouille. I will give it to your Ratatouille. All right. All right. We'll see how long Ratatouille lasts. Man, uh, but I, lives yeah, to fight I, I love one Monsters. more round. I love my. Yeah. I think that I, may have made my A to Z one back in the day. I think it made it like, I don't know if it was all the way to the top, but it was pretty near there. It like, it challenged <laughs> Nemo. It was the only one along with Toy Story. All but all right. All right. So uh, we gave the last one to Incredibles. So that is the number 10 seed and it's up against the number eight seed up. Uh, I'm actually a really big fan of Up. I, I obviously it's got that beautiful opening uh, section, but I, I think the rest of the movie kind of gets forgotten too. Thank just you. The... Oh, phew! You had me on the first half, man. I was like, am I gonna have to do this again? <laughs> I feel the exact same way, and I have not yeah. had the chance to rewatch it. Please, please explain what I can't put into words. No, I mean it's it is this kind of a uh, beautiful story of you know reluctantly letting people in after you build up this this uh, wall around you mm-hmm. uh, and the persistence of, uh, is it Kevin, I think the young kid's name is, uh, in just Probably. kind of wearing down uh, the older man's kind of uh, grump, grumpiness. It's it just really charming, and I think, uh, I don't know, I, I just really love the adventure of it, uh, not to mention that I think, the voice performance is one of the best vocal performances we've ever gotten in a Pixar movie. From who? Uh, the Kevin, they, they actually had like a young kid in the role. Um, and Pete doctor was like chasing him around the studio and stuff to try and get that performance out of him. That's funny. Like he, he actually feel the boy scout. He actually feels like a young kid uh, in a way that I don't think a lot of movie kids do. Interesting. But you would pick it over The Incredibles. No, no, I'm okay. not picking it over The Incredibles. Right, you were just giving the eulogy. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Thank you, yeah. up, up, and away it goes. <laughs> All right, the final four, uh, the final four, four best Pixar movies. 
Uh, we got to start this off with Toy Story versus Finding Nemo. Art, this is Kill Your Darlings here. Like, I, I almost feel like my opinion's irrelevant. I think you got to make this call. <laughs> Have you rewatched Finding Nemo? Yeah. Have you rewatched Toy Story? Less recently, actually, but yeah. Do you remember what the dog looks like in Toy Story to Toy Story 2? I think I remember what the dog looks like in Toy Story 3. 3, when it's just (laughs) slumping down. There is a big difference in animation. And I don't want to be the one to say that it hurts Toy Story. Interesting. It it definitely dates Toy Story the most. And I... Pixar is a company that has a history of making these very beautiful movies, but you know you do return to Toy Story, the original one, and and you see that they've come a long way. They've come a long way, and don't get me wrong. At that time, it's like seeing Color in the Wizard of Oz screening back in the day. You know, you it would have mm-hmm. blown your mind, and it's still incredible, and the story still stands easily. I I I've, when when um, four came out, we rewatched one like it was no problem. Like rewatched it, not rewatched it again. Rewatched the yeah. rewatch. That animation don't hold up, and when I I'm looking at the Disney Plus thing here, and they have Dory, Nemo, and Marlin. <laughs> beautiful landscape to this day it holds up i don't know what they were on zach when they made when they made this one i don't know what they were on i'd argue it almost looks better than dory it still stands to this day it still stands to this day and it is a very difficult decision for me to make yeah um uh the music if i were to compare them you got a friend in me even to the lines you know you're a toy all that stuff is great just keep swimming. Hopping on the current with Crush. Yeah, I mean, she friends got, got a lot boots. of iconic moments. I don't know. It. I. I find Finding Nemo holds up a little bit better personally. So, I. I'm so willing to let you go that way if that's. It's that's a difficult how you one. Be. Hey, I'm trying to yeah. pretend like I don't because that's all the Toy Story's gone. But Toy Story yeah. has a legacy uh, like no other, I think. Like when you mm-hmm. just think picture, it does not need to win it. It's almost like Martin Scorsese at the Oscars. It's like what they presented at the Oscars, bro. Yeah. Buzz and Woody presented. Like they've won beyond that. But if we're talking movies and we're talking individuality here, I they, I truly believe the story in Finding Nemo uh, goes above and beyond. I, I think it, it stood the test of time with not only with this bracket that we're doing and with the decades that has passed, but will continue to. All right. So Finding Nemo, the first to enter the finals, it is going to be up against either Ratatouille or The Incredibles. Now, now that's uh, you. I've said my piece on. I've said my piece on Ratatouille. I've also said my piece on The Incredibles. I don't know. Do you do you lean heavily one way or the other? Incredibles. Yeah, yeah that like uh, yeah, I strongly. Know their names a bit more. Uh, like just their characteristics, um, scenes. From it, I think the story and the impact of it, not to, again, take away from the uh, from the big speech that happens in Ratatouille, but I think you yeah. see it more with, with, it's just because you have a family. So you're seeing from mm-hmm. the dad's perspective, you're, de- you're seeing it from the mom, and then you're seeing it from what the kids are going to. I think Jack-Jack brings a much better comedic relief than the other side characters do with uh, Ratatouille. I think the character of Edna Mode, voiced by the director himself, I think is in- incredible. <laughs> Not to put it that way, uh, but I just think I I honestly feel it has one of the best scripts in all of the Pixar movies. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, like the way that you said, the way that it plays not only with the villain but the way that it incorporates the superhero family into 
um, a family drama, a superhero movie into a family drama. Yeah, yeah. And I can't argue with any of that. I mean, I, I do love Ratatouille, and thinking about it now, I think maybe one of the things that I love about it in comparison to the rest of the Pixar movies is that you follow its protagonist through really high highs and low lows. You know, mm-hmm. he's literally a rat in the gutter at uh, points in this movie. Yep. And I, I think uh, the ways in which his story is kind of like this roller coaster is uh, maybe a bit unique amongst Pixar protagonists. I think Remy has a depth to him that not a lot of Pixar characters do. But I also see the argument for just like the the completeness of the Incredibles ensemble and Pixar one of the things that a lot of their films do well is have this just ensemble of characters you want to spend time spend time with whether that's the other finalist uh Finding Nemo or that's Toy Story like they they the best of their movies give you a world full of people that you want to uh interact with and I I think there's an argument to be made for some of the characters in Ratatouille the chefs in the kitchen and uh and uh, ego as well, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm not. Uh, I, I I feel like there's the Incredibles maybe has a bit more of an impact. It has a little bit more resonance. So I'll go with here, if only for how much more I think the culture uh, is with the Incredibles. But do you Ratatouille. like Ratatouille but more? Rat- Ratatouille has my heart. Hey, I'm gonna put it to you this way. Do you think The Incredibles is going to beat Finding Nemo? I think it, The Incredibles has a better shot than Ratatouille. But if it don't got a shot, then might as well just crown Ratatouille as Intercut's runner-up. This is what we're deciding here, Zach. At this moment, nah, nah, this you make a, your decision. This is a collaboration. If you, if you think Ratatouille is a step below, I'm happy that it got to the final four. Let's just go with The Incredibles. Yeah, that's actually fair. I'm surprised Ratatouille got that up. I didn't know you liked it that much. Is it your personal I favorite? Love- <sighs> It's between that and Toy Story 3, depending on, on the day. Uh-huh. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, it's for me, it's, yeah. it's, it's, the three has always been Nemo, uh, uh, Ink, and Toy Story. So yeah. The Incredibles might be number three, though, so I'm not disappointed to see it get into the finals here. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go, Against Zach. Finding Nemo. So this is the number four seed let's versus go. the number ten seed. Vamos. Uh, a bit of a strange combination. Not exactly chalk, uh, but we are not complaining. It's two of the more... Uh, Two of the more amazing, incredible, uh, unique oh, I, visions from yeah. uh, Pixar here. Uh, I think find who's the director of Finding Nemo? Do you remember? Uh, let me search it up. Just so is I, that Pete uh, Doctor? I thought it was Andrew Stanton. It might be Andrew Stanton. Nemo. See if I have my Nemo trivia correct, or if I'm a. Uh, no, I am officially the greatest uh, Finding Nemo fan. Is in fact Andrew Stanton. Like that's exactly why I, why I always recall. There we go. Him. So hey, I want to make sure I wasn't wrong. If Wally couldn't get further, at least an Andrew Stanton movie made it all it the way. Uh, so yeah, it's Andrew Stanton versus Brad Bird, two directors who have made a bumpy transition into live action material. Woo! But maybe this is where they belong. Yeah. No, both of them do an incredible job, and these so are the OG. What, like both of these, like these were the men who were writing in the napkins the original ideas with the Incredibles, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. and Finding Nemo being one of the original ideas, along with Bugs Life and the Toy Story stuff. So, absolutely. All right, let's start it off because I got a lot <laughs> to say to defend Finding Nemo. Yeah, Did I mean, get- I don't. I need to hear your Finding Nemo argument. You've been holding it a little bit. Okay. So besides the fact that if I were to rewatch uh, the Incredibles right now. 
again, I feel that in this, this one, I think hurts it a bit more. It is not bad animation, but it's nowhere near. And what came out first, if I'm not mistaken, November 5th, 2004 is when The Incredibles came out. November 5th, 2004. Does 2003 come before 2004, Zach? Because that's uh, when yes, Finding May Nemo 30th, came out. May 30th, 2003 is before. And it looks superior. And you know this. This isn't even a comparison because when, when Incredibles 2 came out, people said, are we sure these are the same? Everyone was making the memes about how they didn't look the same, especially the boyfriend who Violet talks to at the end because the animation just, animation just got drastically different. Bro, you can play Finding Nemo and Finding Dory back-to-back, no problem. And I think Finding Nemo won over a 1995 flick because of the animation. So explain to me how your 2004 flick. What was Peter What was Peter doing? Or sorry, Brad Bird doing? Uh, designing iconic-looking characters who maybe aren't up to the latest graphic standards but are, are notable in their own way, right? Okay. What else do you get to say about Incredibles? Uh, I think I would say that the collection of characters is probably a little bit deeper in the Incredibles than Finding Nemo. Um, I got Dory as my side character. Who's your side character? Frozone's cool, bro. I love Frozone. Nah, don't get me wrong. Uh, Frozone. Oh yeah, is dope. Frozone. He's dope. Yeah. Not Dory. Uh, uh, yeah, you I got, mean, find, you have me on villain. You have me on villain. I got you on villain. Uh, I got you on family. Got you on dad. I think I think. Man, this is little... hey. You ain't got me on dad. Marlon went all the I way. I mean, I do. I do love me a good Albert Brooks performance. Don't get yeah, me wrong. He's fantastic. Um, story wise, I would say that the uh, the progression in Finding Nemo and the journey that they go through. I think you go through a a better ensemble uh, from going not only with Dory, but just the sequences that you have to go through and that they're fighting through the jellyfish, and then going into the uh, with Bruce and the sharks being friends, not food, going to the bottom of the ocean. You have a whole, it's almost two movies in one because you also have Nemo who's back at the dentistry office, you know. And while you have not necessarily the biggest villain, your side villains from Bruce or the obstacles or Darla coming in and trying to like kill the fish, I think, yeah. I think it's a better ensemble cast of voices. Uh, maybe I mean it's maybe it's a little bit more segmented, and The Incredibles is a little bit more cohesive of a story. I don't know. It could be Zach, but it could be that The Incredibles just just like the misses stretches out a little bit too much, and you even got a perspective towards the end where it's ending on uh, what is it, the Dig Dug guy. Which right. is where the second one begins, and they just completely ignore that. So this actually has a sequel that detours. Like, that was one of the biggest criticisms of two, that it takes away from one, where the sequel to Finding Nemo, and not to bring in the sequels there, but to expand on the world, adds to it more, I would say. See, I don't know if I agree with you there, but I don't know if I, I think either of these movies' sequels does them any good. They're not that, that good. That's, I think, They're my not opinion. That good. That's said, that I think we could just ignore both sequels entirely. I'm throwing um, my voice acting and I'm throwing my animation and story into the mix. I don't know what you have to bring in for Incredibles. No, I mean, look, it, I, I think I think Finding Nemo has a, a lot to it that uh, makes it iconic, whether it's, like you said, some of the uh, mantras that get repeated or the characters and the vo- voice performances, you know, uh, it, it's... Ellen DeGeneres has been on TV for 20-something years, and this is somehow the best thing that she's done. That's uh, crazy. I don't know. Uh, I I like them both. I like them both a lot, but uh, 
I, I'm happy to give this one to Finding Nemo. If, if you're no, I want you to fight Incredibles. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how much I want to fight for it. Even I, it's, I know that's why it's we need great. A, the third man. I'll put it to you this way: the intercut one, if it ends up being Finding Nemo, can still have what the final decision is between. Because I feel like the intercuties. These yeah. are top two for a lot of them. Granted, I know Coco, yeah. and I know I know maybe, some aren't maybe even we watching. Gotta leave this, maybe we got to leave this one to the intercuties, right? Because okay. uh, we can put up a poll, whether it's in this video or on social media. We'll, we'll tabulate all the votes and come back next week and talk about which really reigns supreme. I mean, we know which one you're picking. Yeah. Uh, if I got to pick, honestly, I'm picking The Incredibles, but it's by such a slim margin. Mm-hmm. I, I think these are both great movies. I think uh, they're both really uh, strong uh strong uh, visions from their creators, mm-hmm. you know? If, and I think when Pixar is at its best, it's that they are making these movies that are really uh, complete visions of a world. And both these movies have that. I agree. So um, I'm happy that they're both here in the running. If you had to submit something to take, like, the... Sorry, to define Pixar, I have no problem with any of the ones that we have in the top four. Absolutely. Any of the ones that we I have in the top four. There. All right, so we are done with our first Pixar bracket, but we're going to need a little bit of your help, so make sure you uh, comment below with what you think the best Pixar movie is, uh, whether you choose Finding Nemo or The Incredibles, whatever it is. And let us know if there's any polls you want us or brackets you want to see us do in the upcoming weeks. I think we're planning to do uh, ones for Neon, ones for Best Picture in recent years. So uh, we got some stuff coming up, but uh, we can... Always open it up to some ideas and see mm-hmm. if any of yours uh, make the cut. We're going to move on to our final segment of this and every week. It's the new to see where we give you our picks for the week. Art, do you have a suggested viewing for everybody over the weekend? Um, I haven't seen the new releases, but I heard there's a really good horror movie that's going to be out uh, with our girl, which I was a little worried her going to the Blumhouse uh, treatment, but I heard she's doing pretty well. Invisible Man. Early reviews are pretty Early good. Early reviews are pretty good, but I haven't seen it. Can't recommend it. So stay at home. Get yourself some HBO. Uber eat some McDonald's and watch McMillions, baby. This show is crazy. Okay. It's it's yeah. crazy. It's insane. I'm three episodes in. Just three. But what a that FBI dude. What a character. What a right. <laughs> he's so he, goofy. He, how eager he is to go undercover. But the entire just, like, investigation and what they go through and, I'm like, I don't want to spill anything, but, like, how deep it goes and all the connections. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, you're interviewing, like, two different people's families and you don't even know which one is supposed to be the guy. You know, because it's an investigation. You don't know which is the person who we think is supposed to be the main guy. So you're following different people with the same names and who stuff. Who is and, Uncle Jerry? Oh, it is... is I've never craved McDonald's more in my life while watching this thing. <laughs> oh, uh, man. And it's insane to, right. how long ago it was. But, yeah, that would be my pick. I think they're wrapping up uh, in the next couple of weeks because I think it's only six episodes. Yeah. So that's think, a cool one to watch. Uh, the Monday after this podcast is posted will be the fifth episode, I want to say. So okay. catch up and you'll be there in time for the sixth and finale. Dope. Uh, final episode. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my pick for the week. I've been having a good time with that one. Awesome. Uh, my pick for the week is a Netflix show. Not a reality show. I'm going to say this is a documentary uh, show. Uh, cheer. It's the... What's up? Really beautifully right? directed series 
uh, on Netflix. It's only six episodes, yes, but sir. it's absolutely enthralling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, so it comes. Uh, it. What am I trying to say? It. It's takes place as we mentioned on our last episode at this junior college where uh, they have this elite cheer program and you know the way that Greg Whiteley the director is able to sort of film their practices and, and kind of show you the raw athleticism mm-hmm. behind these performances first of all gave me a new appreciation for uh, the athleticism that goes into cheer although I think that's the kind of bland thing you say anytime you see a documentary uh, it's more than that because the way that he shows you how they put themselves on the line, the the c- close calls that they t- take with their bodies, yeah. uh, the the way that they will just launch a 90-something pound girl into the air and there might not be someone there to catch her. The way that they kind of film these moments is done in such a such a surprising way. Uh, they ca- it catches you off guard, and I feel like they're able to make you feel the impact mm-hmm. of it more. There's a really amazing sequence in that first episode where they try to do a particularly difficult challenge, a pyramid, a particularly difficult uh, r- routine, and girl after girl just goes down like. This one has a concussion. This one hurt her arm. This one's not going to be able to go. And you just see the the toll that it takes. Not to mention uh, how well it does these character profiles mm-hmm. uh, between Jerry and Lexi, uh, and Ladarius, all these people that you you come to see uh, their development throughout the program, their personalities, and the way that they've responded to uh, their cheer coach Monica, who's mm-hmm. this very interesting character at the center of it. I just think it's a very well put together documentary. Uh, it really leans into the Netflix binge model. It gives you these kind of cliffhanger endings that are, are really, really good and just make you want to keep watching. But I, I, I found it very validating. I, I thought it's a beautifully filmed and really intriguing story. It's maybe my favorite TV show so far this year. Hey, so. I'm glad you got to catch it. Who, uh, who's your favorite? Yeah. I mean, the easy answer is Jerry, Jerry. right? Yeah. Like, um, what's her name, though? I Molly, uh, what's the other girl? Uh, they f- Morgan. Morgan, okay. I feel like, is such a sweetheart throughout and just her, her willingness to go with, She's the, the, one with to, to the accept challenges. The grandparents who took her, yeah, what yeah, a, what yeah. a crazy story. Because like you were saying, what makes it insane when you're doing these routines is that they got to swap them out. So now the routine's different. And it's not just a routine. Some people are hurt. Like, that person's not there anymore. That's a different person now replacing them. It was my first time doing this routine. But I memorized the other seven routines. So now you're thinking while you're up in the air, which routine are we in? And I right. really hope when I come back down, the person remembers to be at this spot and not what was yesterday routine, which was this... I don't even like what, and then there's nothing afterwards. There is no professional cheering. Yeah, I mean, it's the they're going all out for these two years essentially. It's crazy, and uh, hoping it leads them in a better place. So the documentarian Greg Whiteley uh, also did Last Chance You for Netflix. Mm-hmm. So if you were a fan of that series, which also does a good job at kind of taking these uh, like collegiate level sports and kind of. Uh, giving giving them that weight and that drama, uh, yeah. I think he does it to a whole other extent here because like it's just you know I think it's taking a sport that a lot of people dismiss and really showing you the the power of uh, these that that these the power that 
participating in this has for these people. Like yeah. how much they're willing to put on the line and how much it gives them too. Yeah, gives them discipline. Yeah, I'm glad you yeah. caught it. I'm glad you caught it. I'm glad yeah. you liked it. Yeah, same. All right, so I think that's all for this week's show. But catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at Zshevich. That's at Z S H E V as in Hema. I'm on the T V I C H, and check out my YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/MultiplexShowArt. Where can people catch more from you? You can find me at the A to Z Show and let me explain on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and Letterboxd. Uh, another one that I would want to recommend is Hentified. That's on Netflix. I'll talk more about it next week. I just oh. remembered. Really, really, really like Hentified. All I'll say, highly recommend I'll it. I'll catch up on that. Yeah, uh, catch that one for next week. But uh, yeah, come back next week because we're here all the time on the Intercut Podcast. Yes, you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcatcher, I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can watch our bright, smiling faces as we run through the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Friday, and please leave us a comment, like the videos, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us a five-star review like our Facebook, our Instagram, and Twitter pages. All of them are intercut po- are at Intercut Pod. And you'll get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, anyone can cook. I love Ratatouille. <laughs> See, you got the final say. What's more important?